Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow, Friday edition, which means it's time for the Fantasy 15. My favorite plays and general thoughts about this week's slate from a fantasy perspective. In a relatively quick-moving fashion, I try to keep it to around 15 minutes with the hopes that you actually have time to take that in. I know everybody's busy. After that, though, today we have a special treat with a guest who just so happens to be one of the best fantasy assets to ever live. The one and only Ladanian Tomlinson is going to join me and Fantasy Hall of Famer Michael Fabiano with a conversation about his football career and his thoughts on fantasy which he is now very passionate about. And I think that you will find his thoughts on the Falcons in particular pretty funny, considering he's a running back. So that's coming up. We're going to get through the fantasy stuff first. It is week eight, of course. Early game again on Sunday in London, Jaguars versus Broncos with Russell Wilson, I might add, whose Wolverine blood has healed his hamstring and whose high knees on the flight to London helped keep it stretched out. That game is a 9.30 a.m. Eastern start, so remember to set your lineups early for that one. Then we've got seven games in the early window, four in the afternoon, Packers-Bills on Sunday night, and Bengals-Browns on Monday. No Jamar Chase in that one. Out four to six weeks with a hip injury. As for the guys you should play this week, let's break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? All right, let's start with the quarterbacks first. No Mahomes or Herbert because they both have buys this week. Josh Allen is playing in a primetime game against Rodgers, who, despite finishing last week's game face down in a pool of sadness on the field after losing to the Commanders, still finished in the top 12 at 12 in quarterback fantasy scoring with 15 points. So that's how gross the quarterback position has been this year. By contrast, last week, we saw 21 different running backs score more than 15 points. So obviously there's some guys at quarterback you're going to play every week. You actually can't play Josh in DFS on the main slate uh, in daily because he's a night game, which is the point that I started to make before I got into my Aaron Rodgers tangent. Um, You can play Jalen Hurts, though, against Pittsburgh, and you should, in fact. A very good matchup for him. Steelers have not allowed a rushing touchdown to quarterback yet this year, which I think is interesting, but Josh Allen did throw for four against them in week five. They're allowing the seventh most points to the position it's a good matchup for Jalen. It's a very good matchup this week for Tua against a Lions defense that has allowed a first down or touchdown on 31% of the first or second down plays against them. Couple that with the fact that 43.9% of Tua's first down pass attempts have resulted in a first down or a touchdown. And you guys, we might see some of the fastest scoring drives in the history of the NFL here. Everyone eats against Detroit. We all know that. Only two quarterbacks that they've faced so far have not finished in the top 10 the week they played them. I expect Tua to finish there this week. And you can get him somewhat inexpensively in daily, just $6,200 on DraftKings. Daniel Jones is $5,700, priced up $600 following a QB2 performance last week. He's got the Seahawks this week, who have struggled to contain the run. As you probably know, his entire fantasy value has to do with his rushing ability. According to Sharp Football Analysis, 52 of Daniel Jones' fantasy points have come from rushing. That is the third most amongst quarterbacks. He has 68.9 points that come from passing, and that ranks 22nd. So if you're trying to figure out when to play Daniel Jones, look for those games where you think that he'll be able to run the ball. 
and maybe have a plus passing matchup. Seattle is one of those games. As for the quarterback on the other side of that matchup, Gino has come back down to earth these last few weeks, 12 points and 13 points. Giants defense is pretty good. Two things that are notable about them for Gino, they blitz a lot and they play a lot of man. Now, Gino has been good against both of those things, but he doesn't have DK this week, who is their man beater. For that reason, I don't know that I love the matchup for him. Kind of feel like he's a risky play this week. I would probably leave him on my bench. I would not leave Kirk Cousins there this week. I do like his matchup against the Cardinals. I also like that game for Kyler Murray, who has not been crushing it this year through the air. Cardinals averaging 5.1 yards per pass play. That is the lowest number in the NFL. But he could have more success in that department this week. Minnesota is allowing a league-high 8.4 yards per pass attempt. And if Kyler finds himself in the red zone, Minnesota's allowed a touchdown on 33% of red zone plays. That's the most in the league. I expect that game to be high scoring, has one of the highest point totals of the week at 49. Last year, those two teams combined for 67 points. A lot of the same pieces on both time, both teams this time. So this is a game that I'm trying to target in fantasy. A lot of scoring opportunities here. I'm not sure I feel that way about Cowboys-Bears. Just a 42.5 point total in that game. Dallas favored by 7.5 at home. I'm not sure I love this game for Dak, to be honest. I know we all kind of think Chicago stinks, play your guys. When it comes to quarterbacks, though, they've actually been pretty good at holding them down allowing just 13 points per game on average. And part of that is because they're not giving up passing touchdowns. Only one quarterback has thrown more than one against them this year. The only quarterbacks to have had fantasy success against them have been the quarterbacks who scored rushing touchdowns against them. That's not really Dak's game. Only one rushing touchdown last year for him. Justin Fields, obviously that is his game, right? He's been very good lately, a top 12 quarterback in three straight weeks. And that's largely because of the way that they've been running him. Finally, thank you, God. But Dallas is tough. I don't think this is the week to roll the dice with him. Remember, Jalen Hurts only ran for 27 yards against the Cowboys in week six. Uh, On the lower end, have to mention Sam Ellinger getting the start this week for the Colts, who have decided to move off of Matt Ryan for the rest of the year. He is priced at $4,000 on DraftKings. So there's rushing upside which is why they made the move here because they don't have the ability to protect Matt Ryan. um, And he's a statue in the pocket and doesn't have the ability to protect himself to some degree or keep plays alive. So Sam Ellinger is, it's not like, Hey, we think Sam Ellinger is going to be better. It's just kind of, this isn't working. So we might as well try something different, but there is a rushing component to him uh, that is unknown upside, I suppose, to a degree. Priced at $4,000. If you want to roll the dice there with him, that gives you a lot of maneuverability at other positions to get a lot of higher price pieces in. Like, for instance, my uh, main name here at the running back position, Derek Henry, who is in a smash spot against the Texans. Please, please, please play him in daily. I mean, I realize part of the daily thing is um, trying to be different than everybody else. This is 100% not different. But I think that if you try to get cute and you move away from Derek Henry, then I, I think you're going to get left behind because I don't see a scenario where it doesn't work. That's just me. 100 yards rushing in three straight games for this guy. And he's got the Texans, who are allowing a league-high 164 yards rushing per game 
If there ever was a week when you would want to pay up for Derrick Henry, it's this week. And he's not even the most expensive guy on the slate. He is $8,400. CMC is $8,900. Speaking of CMC, by the way, buyer beware. This is a tough matchup for him this week. The Rams are only allowing 13 points per game to running backs. They've only allowed two rushing touchdowns to running backs all year, and they have not allowed a single receiving touchdown to a running back yet. I get in season long, you're not putting CMC on the bench, but I am not expecting a big game from him. This is a tough matchup. Saquon Barkley, on the other hand, this is a guy I want to pay up for this week at $8,100. He's got a great matchup against Seattle, who's running back I also want to play. Kenneth Walker, a total value in my opinion at $6,500. Both of these guys are monsters when it comes to explosive run plays. That's runs of 10 yards or more. In fact, the two teams rank second and third in the league in that particular category. Meanwhile, on the flip side, neither of these two defenses can stop those kinds of runs. They are second and third worst in the league when it comes to yards allowed on explosive run plays. So those are two guys that I am very much prioritizing. I'm also prioritizing Josh Jacobs, who has scored 30 plus points in three straight weeks. That is bonkers. And while DraftKings increased his price by $1,000. It's still not high enough. $7,500 for that guy who's touched the ball 82 times in the last three games. Another guy I like this week is Tony Pollard. Zeke's dealing with a knee injury with a bye coming up next week. I will be shocked if Zeke sees the field this week, which means that Pollard would get a great matchup against the Bears all to himself. And he's been very good this year. 5.6 yards per carry, 9.5 yards per catch. He's only $6,100 on DraftKings. I expect him to be heavily played. I like Joe Mixon against a Cleveland run defense that has just been getting gashed in a week where Cincinnati just lost Jamar Chase. So maybe they try to run it more in a game where they should be able to do that. I like Raheem Mostert versus Detroit because it's Detroit. And on the lower end, I like Dante Foreman at $5,300. A, Chuba Hubbard, or Chuba Hubbard, I don't know which one it is at this point. Um, he missed every practice this week. I'm assuming he's not playing, which means more for Foreman. There was already a lot for Foreman, and this is point B. 15 rush attempts last week for 118 yards. He was also good last year in Derrick Henry's place down the stretch. So we have a sample size of him playing well that is not just one game. And C, he's playing the Falcons, and their defense is allowing, wait for this, my favorite stat of the week, the Falcons defense is allowing a first down or touchdown on 78% of their defensive series. 78%. What? So here's the way I see it. PJ Walker looked good last week, but he looked awful the week before against Los Angeles. So if he comes out and looks bad again this week, then that probably means more run for Foreman. If he looks good again, then it's a good game script and it's still good for Foreman. Either way, he feels like the safest Panther play to me because unlike DJ Moore, who I like and I'll talk about in just a bit, his play does not rely on PJ Walker. As for the wide receivers, my favorite high-end plays include Tyreek against Detroit, Justin Jefferson, and what I expect to be a high-scoring game, Higgins with Jamar Chase out. Also notable, by the way, though, Debo Samuel is out. That one's big. So are Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. Uh, those are less big because it's happening every week. Um, I really like D-Hop this week. He had a monster first game back last week, 14 targets and a target per route run rate of 48.3. So one takeaway, they're going to feed him. The other one, they're using him differently this year. 
He played 42% of his snaps in the slot last week compared to last year when he lined up out wide 85% of the time. What they're doing here is moving him around to try and exploit matchups with the understanding that lining him up on the left every time is easier to defend. So that's good for him. My concern for fantasy purposes here is for Rondell Moore because he is a slot receiver. So when you push him out wide, for the most part, that does not play to his strengths. And we've seen that two times this year. He played a majority of snaps out wide in week four also, and he finished with three catches for 11 yards. So in the two games where Rondo Moore played out wide more frequently than he played in the snap uh, in the slot, he had four catches for 52 yards. And in the two games he played primarily inside, he had 13 catches for 117. I think some people saw him out wide and thought that that was related to Robbie Anderson not being up to speed and needing another guy out wide. But if that were the only issue here, then D-Hop wouldn't be moving to the slot, which I think is actually a smart move by Kingsbury, but I also think is a bad move for our Rondo Moore shares. DJ Moore is as playable as he has been this season, and he's still so cheap, you guys, on DraftKings, $5,300 against the Bucks last week. P.J. Walker threw the ball 22 times, and he threw it to D.J. 10 times. That's nearly half of his pass attempts that went to D.J. Moore. And the matchup is incredible this week. Not only is Atlanta's defense one of the worst to start off with, but their top three cornerbacks are hurt. I'm still wary of playing pieces from Carolina. Yes, not totally sold that last week's game wasn't an outlier, but the matchup is so good that I am going to get D.J. Moore in also Dante Foreman, as I mentioned earlier. I don't have any shares of DJ, but if I did, I would play him this week. Uh, I like Tyler Lockett at $6,500. He is going to see a real high target share with DK Metcalf out. Giants like to blitz a lot, and Lockett has been Geno's go-to guy in those specific situations. And the wide receivers who have had success against uh, the Giants are guys like him that have the ability to play inside and outside. Christian Kirk last week who had 96 yards. Cobb, who had 99 yards against them. And CeeDee Lamb, who had 87 and a touchdown. Devontae Smith versus Pittsburgh. I like him. I also like A.J. Brown in that matchup. But the thing here from a daily standpoint is that A.J. is priced at $1,400 more than Smith. And he's only averaging two points more per game. So I think Smith is the obvious value play there. Wandell Robinson versus Seattle had a lot of questions about him on Fantasy Dirt, on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio this week. Uh, I really like him this week. He's priced at $4,700. His game is against Seattle. His snap share went way up last week in his second game back. Uh, It was 69%. He saw eight targets. As you know, um, the targets are like wide open. Like they don't have a wide receiver one. So it looks like Wondell Robinson is stepping into that role. And important for this matchup, he's a slot guy. Seattle's been pretty good, actually, against perimeter guys. Against the slot, though, they're allowing 13.8 yards per catch. So I like this matchup for him. Paris Campbell, I think, is worth flex consideration this week. And he's worth a look at daily at $4,400. He's scored 23 and 18 points in the last two weeks. He has 23 targets in that time and two touchdowns. And he seemingly supplanted Alec Pierce in Indy as the stronger number two option. His targets per route run rate last week was 23.4. Pierce's was way down at 8.7. The picture in Indy isn't entirely clear this week because of the quarterback change, but at least Campbell appears to have pulled himself out of whatever doghouse he was in earlier in the season. Christian Kirk, I got a buyer beware for him against the Broncos. 
Denver's defense is good. You don't need me to tell you that. They've only allowed one touchdown all year long, though, to an opposing wide receiver. Think about how incredible that is. I mean, every team trots out like, what, three receivers a game at least, and only one of them has reached the end zone? I'm not saying you don't play Christian Kirk in season long, but I am saying you might want to lower your expectations. Another thought regarding wide receivers, I'm kind of keeping an eye on the Jets this week because I think that the loss of Brees Hall could end up being pretty big for them. He accomplished a lot of things for that offense that I'm not sure Michael Carter and their new running back, James Robinson, can accomplish together. And I also think that they're a little overrated as an offense as it is, having gone through a stretch of games against pretty easy opponents. Zach Wilson has not been good. He has the third lowest expected points added per drop back in the league, higher only than Baker Mayfield and Mitchell Trubisky. And their upcoming schedule is tough. They've got New England this week, then they have Buffalo, then they have New England again, then they have Chicago, then they have Minnesota, and then they have Buffalo again. So this is a long-winded way of me saying that I think that we're going to see them trailing more and therefore throwing more moving forward. And so guys like Garrett Wilson and even the disgruntled Elijah Moore could potentially see their volume and therefore fantasy value going up. As for the tight ends, Kelsey has a bye, Gerald Everett has a bye, David Njoku has a high ankle sprain that originally we'd heard was going to keep him out two to five weeks. Then word came out that he was feeling better. Keep talking about him as a possibility for Monday. I would be very surprised if he played. Uh, George Kittle is playing, but his matchup is awful. The Rams have only allowed 4.3 fantasy points to tight ends this year. If he scores a touchdown against them, he will be the first tight end to do that this season. Weirdly, Green Bay hasn't allowed a touchdown to a tight end either, so that doesn't bode well for Dawson Knox. Sounds like Darren Waller is going to play this week. Hallelujah, it's finally here. He's coming off a hamstring injury that is different than the one that he dealt with during uh, training camp. So it's good that he is coming back. His matchup, however, is not good. New Orleans allowing 6.6 points to tight ends have not allowed a touchdown all year. Dalton Schultz finally gets some uh, looks last week with Dak Prescott back. Woohoo! A 20% target share, his largest since week one. But Chicago has been strong against tight ends, just 6.5 points allowed. One guy, finally, I found one for you who does have a good matchup. Uh, it's going to be super chalky in daily. It's Irv Smith against the Cardinals. They are one of two teams that you have to have on your radar every week. Cardinals and Seahawks, who's playing them? Is it a tight end I can trust? In this case, I'm not 100% sure that the answer to that latter question is yes, but you could certainly do worse than Irv Smith as seven tight ends have scored 10 plus fantasy points against Arizona this year. Speaking of Arizona, it's not a bad matchup for Zach Ertz, but I'm not sure last week's game was an anomaly. His worst game of the season, six fantasy points, only saw four targets, two catches. The thing is, that has been the norm when D-Hop has been on the field with him. He's averaging four fewer targets a game in those games. So in season long, you have to play him this week, but I'm not sure that he will be bouncing back. Mike Kosicki's not a bad play against the Lions with seven targets in each of the last two games, but if you want to save a ton of money at this position to allow yourself to get up at other positions and just flood your lineup with talent, I do have a dart throw for you that has an above average chance of hitting, I think. <clears throat> Remember when I mentioned targeting the Seahawks defense? Well, as you may recall, 
the Giants lost Daniel Bellinger last week to an eye injury. Well, he'd been a big part of the Giants offense to that point, averaging, uh, I'm sorry, accounting for 12% of their receiving yards. And Tanner Hudson is the next man up when it comes to their pass-catching tight ends there. He's not their best blocker, though. That's Chris Myrick, so you could see him on the field. But Tanner, who is just $2,500 on DraftKings, I think is the more likely recipient of those vacant tight end targets. So in a good matchup against the team allowing the most fantasy points to tight ends at 22 a game, maybe you can go ahead and throw in Tanner Hudson at that very, very low, low price. All right, that was a few minutes longer than 15 minutes. It's it's a goal. Let's just say 15 minutes is a goal. I'm going to keep it right around there. But as I mentioned earlier, today's episode is going to be longer than usual because we had the distinct pleasure of talking to one of the best fantasy football stars and running backs of all time in LaDainian Tomlinson this week, and we want to share that conversation with you. This guy scored 30-plus fantasy points seven times in the 2006 NFL season, which was his MVP year, one of many great years that he had in the league in an 11-year run that led to four all-pro selections and resulted in 13,684 yards on the ground and 4,772 receiving yards. I'm not rounding because he worked too hard for every single one of those yards, and he has since been recognized for that as a Hall of Fame enshrinee in the class of 2017. Michael Fabiano is here with us for the conversation, and so is LaDainian Tomlinson. Hi, LT. Hey, hey, guys. Happy to be on. Great to see you. Great to have you here, uh, LaDainian. You you and I and Lindsay, of course, we worked together for years over at NFL Network, and before that, we were enjoying all of those amazing stats that you were putting up. For our fantasy football teams, uh, I always say it, if there is a Mount Rushmore of fantasy football, uh, you, my friend, are certainly on that Mount Rushmore, you and uh, our pal Marshall Falk as well. So let's get into it and and let's go back to the beginning. I mean, when did you start getting into football and at what point when you started playing football did you realize, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this? Like game one. (laughs) Yeah, well, for me, uh, for me, it started at a, a really young age, guys. And honestly, it was the activities and things that transpired around the household, to be honest with you. You know, so imagine being this this kid that, you know, we're always around other family members, uncles, cousins. They were always at our house. And, you know, as a little kid, I carried a football around throwing it to myself, playing with it. So my uncles, a lot of times, my even my older cousins, they would just tackle me. You know, they would grab me, throw me to the ground, you know, get on their knees and say, all right, try to score a touchdown, get past me. And, you know, that was the funnest times for me as a, as a four or five-year-old doing that kind of stuff. I fell in love with the game uh, because of those activities in my household. The other thing was, Football was constantly on in my household. You know, we always watched football. We were a football family uh, growing up. My dad, my mom, you know, as I mentioned, uncles and cousins. We just, that's just what we did. We watched football games. And I guess, you know, it was kind of destined for me to to play the game. I grew up uh, also hanging around like high school teams. So I was the kid on Friday nights 
you know, at the gate, watching my big cousin play football out there, thinking like, that's the NFL. Like, man, my cousin is out there, you know, he's playing in high school and I can't wait to get there. And, you know, those dreams started for me. But I, I think when I, when I really realized that, you know, I was pretty good, it actually happened my first time playing, you know, in Pop Warner. The first time I touched the ball, I scored a touchdown. Actually, the first two times I touched the ball, I scored a touchdown because the first one got called back because of a penalty. So I did it again <laughs> and I scored again. So I, I guess, yeah, for me, it was kind of destined. It started at a young age. It was, and I'm sure your coach was like, and on the next time that we touch the ball, we're going to give it to him again and then again. And I'm sorry, everybody else on this team, you are now blockers at the age of six or whatever. What, what age was this that you started? It was seven. Yep. At the age of seven. And I was the quarterback. So all I did was take the snap guys and literally bootleg out the opposite way. And I'm gone. (laughs) <laughs> Eliminate the middleman. Why? 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 Every every place direct snap. Uh, you're the only person touching the ball. This is good. This is good coaching. Uh, you know, it's funny. You talk about the football games being on in the house and that developing your love for football. I'm seeing that with with my eight year old son right now from a fantasy football standpoint that has driven his love for watching the games on Sunday and then his love for football. All of his friends are in like a little fantasy league this year that I put together for them. And all of a sudden they know everyone in the league. They were doing math homework yesterday. And I overheard eight plus eight equals Jacoby Myers. Like, and I was like, I love this, but it's funny how just what you have access to informationally really does drive your love for it. And we've seen fantasy football be a big part of um, that push with younger kids. Um, and then, yeah. you know, older people like myself and fabs too. So you were very good from an early age. Obviously we saw that take you to TCU. You had a game there where you rushed for 406 yards against UTEP. Like how does one even like mathematically accomplish that 406 yards, they're NFL teams that can't even sniff that in like an entire game. And you were doing that all by yourself on the ground. Yeah. I, you know, for one, a lot of long runs, Lindsay, a lot of 50, 60 yard runs, you know, yeah. that, that, that helps. Right. Uh, but also the opportunities I had 43 carries that game, you know, I, I was 43? pretty tired. Wow. Yes. I had 43 carries that game. I was pretty, I mean, at that time coach was like, give it to him, give it <laughs> to him again. They're not stopping him. You know, the crazy thing when I, I think back on that game at halftime, I had a, you know, honestly, I only had like a little over 100 yards at halftime. But what I do remember, right before half, I fumbled. And and my coach lit into me. You know, he he lit into me. You're better than that. Hang on to the that gum ball. I don't know if he said that gum. Yeah. But that's the stuff <laughs> Philip Rivers used to say. And so it sounds good, right? <laughs> you know? Um, but, and so coming out of halftime, it was a close game. And I really felt like, I needed to get my act together, right? And I just started breaking off long runs. And before I knew it, I was approaching 400 yards, honestly. Good. I haven't seen the footage of this uh, post-game situation, but, like, did you walk off the field under your own um, power, or was this, like, Kellen Winslow? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) No, no, I walked off. I walked off, and I remember having this huge press conference, you know, with a lot of media. 
And, you know, that was kind of, you know, that was kind of when I said to myself, man, I, you know, I've done something pretty special. This is national news. Uh, so, yeah, I walked off. I had a lot of energy for some reason right after the game. Yeah. But when I got back to my apartment, I, you know, I crashed. I was out. <laughs> That was it's it. like when your body knows it has a minute to come down, it comes down. Yeah, um, exactly. When, when was the first time that you really like popped nationally where you started getting a lot of attention? Was it after that game or was it prior to that game? Like, cause I know a lot of people can go, you know, depending on what high school you go to or what college you go to, that attention might be there right from the jump. Like you might grow up with that completely around you. Like you're the guy everyone wants to ask questions to, and you have but I, I know there are a lot of people that like sometimes it w- takes till they get to the NFL because they're just never on a team where they get that kind of media attention. Like, when did that happen for you? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, it was definitely after that game where it increased. Right. But I, I think it started to, uh, you know, it was like building my junior year because that was the year where I became a full time starter and I was I was at the top of the nation in Russian most of the season. And so people was like, wait a minute, who is this kid? TCU, what? Like, what? Yep. what's going on here? And so it was building. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you know, we always, like, as players, we searched out, like, media attention, like these magazines that we had back at the time. So Dave Campbell's Texas football magazine was, like, a big deal for high school college and if you made it in that magazine like you were a big deal and so in college we would always okay Dave Campbell's coming out guys let's see who who's printed in that magazine and I remember my sophomore year I was like I'm gonna be in a magazine I, I you know I know I'm gonna make it I, I flipped to you know TCU what we're gonna do and there it is just a small print running back with Danny and Tom said there it is look, I made it I'm in a text you know, but it was just like such a big deal to make that magazine. And then I, I think about, you know, that was nothing compared to the national attention I would get uh, after that that 406-yard game. And so coming out of TCU, of course, you were a uh, top five pick. San Diego Chargers uh, took you. And, um, of course, the rest, as they say, is history. Talk about the pressure or the excitement or maybe a little bit of both that you felt uh, when your name was called back in 2001 by the Bolts? Yeah, I I don't know if I felt pressure at all. Honestly, it was relief because it was a lifelong dream to get to the National Football League and to be shaking the commissioner's hand, uh, to be, you know, at the draft, bring my family, all those experiences, man, it was, you know, it was relief to, it's finally over. Now I get to, play some football and I get to prove some people wrong because in my mind, it was still the fact that came from TCU, you know, this option system where, you know, you didn't run the ball inside, you know, smaller school, smaller kid, like, is he, can he really play in the national football league? And it's funny because recently I was talking to my old teammates, like we had alumni weekend and I was talking to Ray Lee Johnson. And Rayleigh said to me, and I didn't even realize this. He said, LT, do you remember what you did the very first practice? And we were all like, oh, my God, this kid is going to be, oh, he's the real deal. He said that, and I don't even remember this. It was him, Junior Seah, and Rodney Harrison all on the sideline. And I was going against 
the defensive guys that was out there and they were saying they were talking amongst each other. Oh, let's, you know, let's wait to see what he's going to do with this first carry because that's going to determine if this kid is good or not, if he can play for us or not. And he said the very first carry, it was me and the linebacker in the hole. And he said, I spun off of him. I did a, like a 360 spin and I took it to the house. I don't even remember. He said, but they all went crazy. And that's the day they all were like, this kid is going to be the real deal. But a lot of that, guys, for me, that was just instincts. That's just kind of what I did. So I was eager to prove to everybody else that that's what I had. Like, this was my talent. And uh, fortunately, you know, the Chargers believed in that, and, and they gave me many opportunities. You talking about instincts is interesting to me because I wonder how much of, like, at, at a point in your career, does it get to a point where you have to start watching more tape? Can you rely on just like having an instinct in the moment a little bit less? I mean, obviously that's that innate, like intangible, just athleticism and you kind of can feel what's right in the moment. Um, but did, did that get harder to rely on at any point for you in your career? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so early on, I, you know, I didn't know much about defenses, honestly, you know, I knew how to read shades, you know, if a guy's shaded this way you know I know how to read my block and if he crosses his face I know all that stuff but beyond that you know the unders the over defenses the sinks you know blitzes all that stuff was foreign to me so I relied a lot of times on when I saw it you know so I'm I'm doing a play oh I see this is okay I'm, I'm gonna react to it now as I got older and more experienced and started to study a little bit more and understand defenses, I would, you know, it was like the priest now read, Lindsay. I would see things. I would say, okay, they're about to do this blitz. I know where this ball is supposed to go. And so all that plays out and where the instinct, where the instinct still come in is maybe something goes wrong at the last minute. You know, there is a guy comes in a hole like he comes to try to tackle you right there in the hole when you're not expecting him. Then those instincts play out then or in open field where it's me and I'm one on one with somebody. The instincts to create a big run happens. I can't say, oh, I'm going to try to spin on this guy. You know, I can't think that I got to let it happen naturally. Were, were there other running backs and you played at a time when there were so many great running backs in the National Football League. Were there any players, though, in particular where you were lining up against them? Maybe it was like, you know, a Larry Johnson or a Frank Gore or a Tiki Barber, say, maybe a Steven Jackson, where you're like, man, I really want to get the best uh, of this matchup. And I want to show everybody that I'm the best running back in the National Football League. Was there was there you any know, guys it, like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, Priest Holmes, man. It was Priest Holmes at that time. You know, Priest Holmes, he doesn't get a lot of credit. Priest Holmes was a man. Like, the way he ran the football, it, it, it was art. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when we got ready to play the Chiefs, it was about Priest Holmes. You have to stop him or you're going to see the little, you know, <laughs> yep. you know you, you're going to see that. You're going to see that. And, you know, he was such a well-rounded running back, being able to catch the ball out the backfield great screen runner, all those things. And because he was the older guy, you know, he was already doing his thing. And I, I think, you know, honestly, there was a, there was another story to that. Okay. And I'm going to give it to you. 
So coming out of college, when you go on your visits to all these different teams, I went to Kansas City. And at that time, Kansas City, they were telling me, we're probably going to draft a running back. We're, we might go after one in free agency, but we're probably going to draft a running back. And you're going to be the guy that we're going to draft. Well, if you remember, they got Priest Holmes at that time. And so I kind of felt like, man, they chose Priest Holmes over me, you know, and then I see why, you know, I saw why. <laughs> and, you know, he was he was ready. He was ready to be the man. Um, and so I always had that element in my mind of, OK, you know, Priest Holmes was a guy. Let me let me try to outdo him. Let me show Kansas City, you know, what they missed out on, basically. That's so funny. It's crazy to me that you and Drew Brees were both taken by the same team in the same draft class. Like you go look at the Heisman Trophy finalists for that year, right? It's you and Drew. And then two of the four go to the exact same team in the first and second round. Like the value that they were able to get there. Now, obviously, they didn't necessarily know that they were getting that value with Drew Brees because the story takes a turn. Uh, narrator, he does not finish his career with the Chargers. Um, but when you, but when you show up there and the two of you guys are together, did you feel like what was that like? You and Drew going to the same team at that point? It was special. Drew and I had a previous, you know, a prior relationship going back, dating back to high school. I met Drew Brees at the Texas high school all-star game. Uh, and obviously, you know, he being uh, growing up in Austin, just, you know, a little over an hour away from central Texas, Waco, where I grew up, I would hear about this kid at Austin Westlake, you know, this guy, Drew Brees, that's throwing for all these yards, you know, that he's only 5'11", though. You know, I'm like, man, who is this, you know, who is this dude? And, you know, vice versa, he started to hear about me because of, you know, I was at the top of the league in a uh, state in Russia. And so when we got to the all-star game, it was kind of like a natural connection. You know, we just became friends. We ate, we ate together. We hung out at the all-star game together. A at that time, I knew Drew's story. He hadn't gotten offered by any Texas school. And I knew the chip on his shoulder. And I remember at, remember at that time, we talked about it and he, and, and he was pretty bummed about it. He was like, I wanted to stay, stay in the state, but no one offered me. So, you know, I'm going to go to Purdue and I'm going to rip it up. The confidence that he had at that time, I knew he was going to, he was going to be incredible. So we kept up with each other throughout college. And the crazy thing is all these award shows that we started to, you know, we would go to, I would always see Drew and we was, we was talk about, man, wouldn't it be crazy if we go to the same team? Like, that would be bananas. And guess what, Lindsay? It happened. A couple of years later, you know, we that happened. We got drafted by the Chargers, and we got to the, the airport at the same time in San Diego. And I remember us talking about, man, how about this? Here we are. And we made a pack. Drew and I made a pack at that time that, you know, we said, Hey, let's bring a let's bring a championship to the to this city. Like, let's do that. Let's do something special here. Two Texas guys. Let's do it here in San Diego. And that was our pack. That's actually a true story. So, what were your thoughts after Drew had gotten injured, and then ultimately the Chargers drafted 
Philip Rivers or, or got Philip Rivers in the Eli Manning uh, deal, and Drew ends up going to New Orleans. I, I think initially, like initially, you you don't you don't really believe that it's gonna happen, right? You kind of say, you know, anything can happen. You know, Drew's still gonna because remember, even after Drew got hurt, um, you know, he well. Let's let's back up. The first two years that Philip was there, Drew was playing. And so the whole time Drew was saying, This is my team, you know, like, and he was balling. He was pro bowl, all pro. He was doing everything that needed to be done to get a new contract. So a lot of us in the locker room, honestly, we were starting to think we're gonna keep Drew Brees and we're probably gonna trade Philip Rivers. He hasn't played yet, you know. And obviously, when Drew got hurt, that opened the door, you know, for Philip to be able to, to to come in and play, and Drew to be traded. But had hadn't Drew had not Drew gotten hurt, uh, then I think we could have been looking at a different story. Because remember, guy, we, we went to the playoffs. We were uh, you know a team that was right on the cusp of you know making a deep run in the playoffs. So. I think right up until the fact that he got hurt, we all believed that there was a chance that Drew would still remain with the Chargers. Yeah, the move obviously ends up paying off well for both of you guys, right? Yeah. Philip Rivers turns out to be a great quarterback. Your career continues along the same trajectory. Drew goes on to win a Super Bowl and become one of the best ever there in New Orleans. What happened for you or how would you describe the 2006 season? which was your MVP year. You rushed for 18-15 at 5.08, um, receiving 31 touchdowns. Like, what was that year like for you, and why do you think um, you had such a good year specifically? I think sometimes, you know, you, you hear the cliche of stars align, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I think because there is a lot of things that has to go right. For one, football players, we always think about staying healthy. Like, man, we, you know, it's a long season. You're going to get banged up. You're going to have some injuries. But if you can avoid the serious injuries and those injuries that slow you down or keep you from being productive, then, you know, I was at the prime of my career at that time. And to mention, I was on a new diet. You know, I was I had a trainer. Like, I had done. What, what, what diet? What? Well, I had a, take some I notes a, here. Well, I had a chef, you know, I had a chef that was cooking nothing but, you know, lean meats and vegetables and, you know, all the good stuff, you know, like I really, I really dialed in my nutrition like I had never done before. Also, you know, I restricted myself from alcohol beverages, you know, during the season, mm -hmm. all those things. I was strictly committed to the craft. Because I, I, the year before, I had a great year as well. And I knew that I was starting to feel like I can be unstoppable, honestly. I felt like, man, you know, I can do whatever I want out here. Like, I can move the way I want. I got the speed. I got, And that's a great feeling as an athlete. And so I went into that offseason thinking, let's do everything possible and see how much, you know, how much better you get. Let's, let's just go all in. And that's what I did with the training, the nutrition, 
even the in-season stuff that I was doing, the in-season training, not to mention the team was outstanding. I mean, just, I mean, we had a great offensive line, as you, yeah. as you mentioned, Phillip was, you know, a great quarterback. We had everything we needed, Lindsay. And I think it really happened because Phillip, it was his first year starting and Marty was more conservative that first year with Phillip, you oh, know, Cam, that- yeah. Cam Cameron, who was the offense coordinator was a little bit more conservative. So a lot of times, Instead of throwing the ball, we just, hey, just hand it to LT. You know, something positive <laughs> will happen, right? Just like the Pop Warner coach and the high school coach and TCU coach Star, before them. Stars align. Stars align. You know, and, and only, that's simply, that's what happened. And not only those coaches, but let's get into the fantasy football world because you knew I was going to go here, Ladanian. <laughs> At what point, like, I don't know if you realize this, but you were on the cover of every fantasy football magazine. You were the number one pick overall for years in fantasy. There was nobody better than LaDainian Tomlinson. At what point in your career did you start picking up on the fact that, wow, this fantasy football thing is getting pretty big? And I there, seem to be there are a lots pretty of nerds popular out there. pick. Like, right, exactly. I mean, like, like me and Lindsay. And yes, Lindsay, yep. you are a nerd. At I what know. point did you, did you realize that, wow, this fantasy football thing is getting pretty big and I'm a pretty big part of it? When I started having close friends now, I'm just, I'm not talking about, you know, just one of my teammates, brother or whatever, close friends that I went to college and grew up with, you know, they would call me, they would call me sometimes and literally they would say, Hey man, why did you come out on the goal line? I'm like, (laughs) what? What are you talking about? You came out in the fourth quarter. You could have scored another touchdown. I needed that for fantasy. Man, if you don't get off my phone. That was me earlier this year about Austin Eckler. I was like, no, 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 Sony. No, no, no. Don't need it. (laughs) No, but, and so I get it. Like, now that I play fantasy, I totally get it. But I remember back then, my friends would always, you know, they would always call me. And even my cousins, you know, they would be like, Hey man, you you missed you missed the hole. You could have scored a touchdown. <laughs> like if you cut back, you would have scored a touchdown. And I'm I'm like, man, come on, man, this is getting crazy. <laughs> but you just said you get it now because I yes. know you play fantasy, and I can't tell you the number of times that I've done a show with this guy where on a Monday he's like, you know who I think is gonna have a good game? It's this guy because I need him to because he's on my fantasy team. That's the analysis <laughs> that we're yeah. getting out of Ladani and Tomlinson. How many do you have? Like one team? Like what is your fantasy football world look like these days well I, I used to play in two leagues now I'm, I'm down to just one and it's one that I created myself okay I'm the you, commissioner you're the commissioner you know? I'm the I'm the commissioner yes I am and so I control everything that happens okay uh but it's so fun uh, I play in a 10 team league PPR um, of course, we're going to play PPR, right? We better. Be. Like, yeah. like, you know, I love PPR. It's a standard. I'm uh, Ladinian Tomlinson. <laughs> Let's max yeah. these values. Yep. And the name, uh, the name of my team is five, obviously, you know, five. <laughs> um, and right now I'm in like third place. I've lost two straight, though. I was in first place. I lost two straight. I have Lamar Jackson as my quarterback. Joe Mixon. I have... Uh, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, 
DJ Moore, Amari Cooper, Kyle Pitts, who hasn't? <laughs> Kyle Pitts, if you're listening, buddy, I love you. But tell Marcus to throw you the daggone ball, please. <laughs> How about we just tell Marcus to throw the ball? How about we talk to Arthur Smith and say, <laughs> right. throw the ball, Jeez. okay? Like, and I, Jeez. by the way, let's just end on the fact that this is LaDainian Tomlinson, <laughs> one of the best running backs of all time. It's like, can we stop running the ball, please, in Atlanta? <laughs> exactly. LaDainian, La- La- you, you have become one of us, my friend. One of us. And I love it. One of us. I love it. LaDainian, you're the best. We love you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really love it if you could maybe hit that five-star button on the way out. Uh, and if you want to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to or send me a tweet, you can find me at Lindsay underscore Rhodes on Twitter. I'm Lindsay Rhodes NFL on Instagram. Um, also, if you could hit that subscribe button before you leave, that would be awesome. We drop three episodes a week, and so the next one will be coming out on Monday, wrapping up Sunday action. Um, and then on Wednesday, we have a guest that is usually a little bit more of a deep dive into a specific topic. The NFL Roadshow is produced by Andrew Emmer, and it is a part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Really appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. SiriusXM Podcasts.